You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Uh, We just saw last week Jesus healed three overlooked and unexpected people. A leper, a Gentile slave, and then maybe the most shocking of all, a mother-in-law. Peter's mom, Peter's mother-in-law, a woman. In, In this society at this time, all three of these people would be pushed to the side of society and considered bottom rung people, but not to Jesus. Jesus cares about the overlooked and his eyes are on the forgotten and he's showing us now after the Sermon on the Mount, after these healings, and he's going to move into these, this batch of heavy, powerful miracles. He's going to show us where our eyes should be as disciples of Christ. And it's Jesus first. Jesus first above all. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of God as you do every week, beginning in verse 18. And here's what our brother Matthew tells us by the power of the Spirit. So when Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, first, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, why are you afraid? You have little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. And when they had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged him. Send us into the herd of pigs. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, They begged him to leave their region. Let's pray together. Holy Father, would you help us now? 
meet us now. That we would hear your son. We would see who your son is. That we would encounter Jesus and that we would walk out of here different. We, our lives, our priorities would even get flipped around because of who Jesus is. Help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I, I lose track of all kinds of things. And one of the things that's really hard for, for me to keep track of is if eggs are healthy for me this year. Last year, eggs are bad for you. Year before that, eggs are good for you. Year before that, eggs are bad for you. I don't even know where we are with eggs now. And bacon. Is bacon good for you? Bacon's bad for you. Bacon's good for you. Coffee's good for you. Coffee's bad for you. Every article, something goes crazy. And then now I've seen people post articles that pizza is actually a more healthy, balanced breakfast than cereal. Well, praise God for pizza then. And then now we know dietary fads come and go. You got, I remember the first ones, you know, Atkins and then South Beach and then Paleo and then what? Keto. We're getting like a rhyming pattern now. We need to break out of that before we get to Dorito and all these other, I mean, we could be praying for Dorito to become the next. See, things in our culture come and go, change, dietary recommendations shift and, and go all over the place. That's just the way of the world. But well, here's what Matthew's reminding us right now. On the heels of the Sermon on the Mount, on the heels of these healings that we saw last week, while everything else in our world may change, discipleship with Jesus, the lines don't change. Walking with Jesus, there, there's no shifting for what he's calling us to. And here's where it begins with the radical firstness of Jesus. He's calling for a radical firstness. So listen, we just saw last week, he's done with the Sermon on the Mount. He's done with these healings. He's healed many. And now he's ready. He wants to go to the other side of the sea. The crowds are huge. He's ready to go do ministry somewhere else. And look, 18. He sees a large crowd around him. He gives an order. We're going to the other side of the sea. Now look, verse 19. A scribe approached him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now notice who this is. He's a scribe. A scribe is a professional teacher of the Old Testament, a lecturer, a scholar, a smarty pants, a bookworm. This is someone who is a trained intelligentsia of Israel. And, but look at what he calls Jesus. Teacher, what does that signal to you? A teacher sign, calling Jesus teacher. Matthew's saying, look, this should bring something up in our minds and our hearts. This scribe views him and Jesus as we are in the same workforce. Jesus, we're colleagues. We're the same. Now, clearly, he sees Jesus as a better teacher than him because he wants to roll with Jesus. And I think my suspicion is because, do you remember what was said about Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount after he's done teaching all these amazing things? The last few verses in Matthew chapter seven says, the crowd responds in amazement because Jesus taught with authority unlike their scribes. So this scribe sees, man, the crowds are loving Jesus. Jesus has mojo. I wanna, I wanna teach like Jesus. 
I, I, I want to get some tricks. I want to learn how to hold a crowd. I, w- I want to learn how to maneuver through the Old Testament and, and change things up the way you did, Jesus. So teacher, I'm a teacher. I, I'm gonna, I want to follow you too. And I bet this scribe also wants to join Jesus' group because he sees the rest of the disciples. And what, are you, what do we know about the disciples? They are not teachers. These are the guys who did not make it into rabbi school. These are the guys who don't have a cubicle. These are roughneck fishermen. Their popularity level is very low. So this scribe who's got it all together and is very smart can see this and go, I think I'd be doing them a favor if I joined their group. Yep, I'm going to help your PR, Jesus. I'm a very well-to-do scribe. Let me join you guys, and it's going to go great. Well, you think Jesus lets this guy in? What does Jesus say to him? Verse 20. Welcome. Join us. No. What? Foxes have dens. Birds of the sky have nests. The son of God has no place to lay his head. What? (laughs) It's okay to read the Bible and go, that came out of nowhere. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is getting to what this guy's after. I want to level up with you, Jesus. You could say it this way. Jesus is looking at this guy saying, hey, discipleship with me is not going to get you tenure in the temple. Following me isn't about you achieving the career status that you were hoping for. You might actually be homeless. Are you okay with that? Jesus says, I'm homeless. You want to join me? You think I'm some great, powerful, rich, well-to-do teacher? I have no place to sleep. Even foxes do. Even birds do. But I don't. You're going to follow me? It's going to be difficult. It's going to be uncomfortable. The lie that following Jesus, you're going to be rich, healthy, everything's going to be great. Jesus says, wrong answer. Beloved, what Jesus is teaching us, he's not the support system for our hopes and dreams. Sometimes American Christians think this way. We have hopes and plans for our lives, and then we ask Jesus, bolster us up, help us accomplish our dreams. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what Jesus is in it for. You know, athletes write that verse on their shoe, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not about dunking the ball or making a three. It's about suffering and hardship and endurance. But we use that verse. I can do all things through Christ. I'm gonna make it through this work meeting. I can get through this thing with my kids. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We use it when we, when we want things. But what about... In evangelism, when you're afraid to evangelize, and we back up, uh, what happened to, I can do all things through Christ. When someone wants you to disciple them or someone in the church asks you, hey, would you come and serve in the kids' ministry? Would you, would you come and disciple people in the men's or women's ministry? And you go, oh, I don't know if I have time. That's just not my gifting. What happened to, I can do all things through Christ. You want to go on this mission trip? Oh, I don't know. It's not really, I'm not wired for that. What happens? I can do all things through Christ. See, what happens is just like this scribe, sometimes that verse to us really means I can do my things through Christ who will strengthen me. But the reason why Jesus says I'm the son of man here in verse 20, he's saying, don't get it twisted. I am the one who has complete authority in the universe. This is from the book of Daniel. I reign and rule over the universe. I'm not just a mere teacher to support and bolster up the plans you have for your life. 
Rather, I'm calling you into plans that I have for your life. Putting me first. The radical firstness of Jesus. And he amplifies it more in verse 20. So look at 20. 21. Lord, another of his disciples said, First, let me go bury my father. So another guy comes up and says, Lord, this is better. He sees who Jesus is. He's Lord, but what? He wants to delay following Jesus. I just want to push, he wants to push pause real quick. And it looks like for a legit reason. What is it? First, 21, let me go bury my father. Now, I don't think his dad died recently. If he did, he, he wouldn't be at here. He, he would be at the bedside. He would be arranging the funeral. He'd be, he'd be taking care of things, not checking out what this new teacher and healer is doing in Israel. So I'm guessing his dad is either really sick, is going to die soon, and he wants to be around for that and around to handle that. And what Jesus says is so startling. What does Jesus say? Hey, first, let, let me just be around to handle. I'll, I'll join you after he passes, and then, and then I'll follow you. Then I'll, I'll put you first in my life, Jesus. What does Jesus say? No. No. What does he say? Look, 22, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. If you're alive with me, your priorities have changed. Jesus says, I'm first, no delay. This man wants to bear his father and just handle it when the time comes is the normal cultural expectation. And Jesus says, jettison that. That's second, I'm first. Family doesn't rank over me, Jesus says. Family doesn't rank over me. And listen, beloved, I think one of the great idols in our community, in our part of the world, of the area is family. Not just among unbelievers, but among disciples of Christ. Just like this guy. He is a disciple. Verse, verse 21, another of his disciples said, first let me do this. So this guy's already a follower and he's already falling on the wrong side of the line where the tension of family and following Christ goes. Where do you feel the tension of family and being faithful to Jesus? Do you speak up to your teenager when you should? When, you, when they claim to follow Christ and you tell them this is the way of Christ, but, but you still want them to like you. I mean, we're, I want them to still like be my friend, but I know I got to call them to Jesus. But Does your focus, inward focus on your family, does it crowd out fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Does it crowd out singles in your life, in the church? Does it crowd out mission? We can't be around unbelievers. I mean, my kids, if they heard what they said and if they are around them, I mean, I just, we're not ready for that. And you have family in town that aren't Christians. Do you still come to Sunday service? I don't want to ask them. They don't want to come. It'll be this whole awkward thing. No, bring them. Invite them. If they don't want to come, guess what? They'll still be there when you get back. Worship Jesus without them. Honor Jesus without them. Who's first in your life? And listen, sometimes I hear of people and I see of people in our church that they just skip Sundays because they say, we need family time. We just need family time. Listen, 
You telling me that an hour and a half on Sunday to worship Jesus is too much? That's disrupting your family? Skip baseball practice then. Turn off the Wi-Fi then. Listen, I, I get it on one level. I do. I, I didn't preach last week. And Pastor Barry did, and it was great. And I, I was exhausted from Easter, exhausted from travel that week and speaking, coming home, being with family. I was so tired. We slept in. I, uh, that was the first time probably in my life where I thought, man, I would love to skip today. I'm exhausted. I hear my kids laughing and playing. We could go to Black Walnut. We could get brunch. It would just, we could have family time. It would be nice just to hang out here today and not have to be Pastor Jeff there at the service, blah, 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 blah. My mind, my emotions, my feelings were telling me this is what I need, rest, family time. But listen, emotions and feelings lie. That is not what I really needed most, even though it's what I thought I did You know what I really needed most? I needed to sing with God's people, even though I didn't feel like I needed it. I needed to have little conversations with brothers and sisters throughout the morning, even though I didn't feel like I needed it. I needed to hear God's word opened up. I needed to eat the Lord's Supper, even though I didn't think I needed them. That is what I truly need most. Jesus is reminding us of the radical firstness he gets in our lives. Sunday through Saturday, work and home, private and public. Where have you given Jesus a backseat? Where is he getting into the background? Is Jesus first in your life? Or is Jesus just an accessory to the life that you're chasing? Jesus is first overall in the midst of Rejoicing in the midst of pain and even in the midst of scary situations, Jesus is Lord of all. And that's where he takes us next, that even in our fears, Jesus is over and in control and he's over our fears. He takes first place and pushes them out. So look at what happens next. So look at 23. So he talks to these two, then they, 23, as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. That's the key word so far. This word has already come up three times in our passage. This is all about following Jesus. Look at it. 19, the guy says, teacher, I will follow you. 21, Jesus tells him, no, 22, Jesus says, follow me. And 23, Matthew writes, his disciples followed him. He's reminding us that Following Jesus is not a one-time decision for salvation. Hear me. Following Jesus is not a one-time decision for salvation. Following Jesus is an ongoing apprenticeship with him. It's an ongoing internship with the risen Christ to be a co-heir of the universe with King Jesus. And look at what happens when we follow Jesus sometimes. 24. Suddenly... So they're on the boat going across. Suddenly, a violent storm. This is the Greek word seismos. Like a, it's where we get our word seismograph. An earth, a violent, like earthquake-type storm. This is not just your average Galilean sea storm that these fishermen would have been used to. This is a violent storm. And look at how violent it is, the passage says. So that the boat was being swamped by the waves. This is a scary scene. You've seen videos of the cruise ships being tossed back and forth. 
And people going back and forth all over the place. Well, here they are on this little fishing boat. And the boat is being overcome by water. The boat is on the verge of sinking. It's going down. And here's why this is such a big deal too. These guys probably don't know how to swim very well. They didn't take swimming lessons at five years old in Israel. They feared the waters. They're unpredictable. There's creatures in there that can kill you. There's leviathans and beasts and it's the deep, it's the dark. They stayed away from the waters. So that's one reason why they're also terrified. We're gonna die. So there they are, this boat is filling. What's Jesus doing? Look at it. Being swamped by the waves, 24. But Jesus kept sleeping. That's meant to make you go, what? It's meant to be a holy and hilarious moment at the same time. So you have to get it cinematically in your mind. What's happening? The disciples are losing their minds, yelling at each other, turn this way, spin it this way. We got to distribute our weight this way. Peter, start scooping the water. Come on, we got to go that way, go that way. Move your body away, distribute your body away. They're disagreeing about what to do. They're being spun around. Camera pans over to Jesus. Mouth open, little bit of drool. He's sleeping straight through the storm. And what happens? He's exhausted. We're seeing Jesus' humanity on full force. He's been teaching and healing. He he is sleeping straight through the storm. They have to wake him up. They go and yell and shake him. Verse 25. So the disciples came, woke him up. Lord, save us. We're going to die. Did they do the right thing? Seems like they said the right thing. Lord, it's a good title for Jesus. Save us. That's what you came to do. We're going to die. Look, it's like what's about to happen here. It seems like they said the right thing, but it seems like their hearts are not in the right place. Because how does Jesus respond? 26. He sits up, maybe stretches. <gasps> Why are you afraid? You have little faith. In Greek, in Greek, it's one word. Why are you afraid, little faiths? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea. And it was a great calm. Let's think about that for a second. Why are you afraid? <laughs> uh, we can list the reasons. What are they? Don't they have understandable reasons to be afraid? Uh, storm, boat sinking, we're about to die, uh, we're powerless in this situation. And the parallel account of the story and the other gospels says that the disciples tell Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? So they also think Jesus doesn't care about them. They think Jesus is aloof. This is why I'm afraid. We're sinking, there's a storm, it looks like we're going to die, and it looks like our Lord is aloof and doesn't care about us. That's why Jesus says, why are you afraid, little faiths? Don't you think I care? What did I just tell you in the Sermon on the Mount? Our Father cares for the birds of the sky. How much more does he care for you? See, he's giving you an opportunity. Oh, you agreed with what I'm teaching, but now let's, let's live what I'm teaching. He cares for the flowers of the field. How much more do you think our Father cares for you? And I'm right here in the boat with you. I said, we're going to the other side. 
I told you we're going to make it. Little faiths, don't you see? Maybe you should be imitating me, your Lord. I'm not worried. You shouldn't be either. Bruner says, scholar about this passage, at times, perhaps sleep with confidence pleases Jesus more than prayer with fear. Perhaps sleep with confidence pleases Jesus more than prayer with fear. So listen, listen, beloved, what are you afraid of today? What fears pop up into your heart and mind, rational or irrational? The boat is filling with water. The boat might fill with water. What is it? And I'm sure in our weak moments and in strong moments, we can be afraid of all kinds of things. Are my children okay? Are they going to be abducted? Are they going to be abused? Is my marriage okay? Is it going to make it till the end? Maybe you fear losing your job. Your kids not liking you as they get older, not wanting to be around you. Maybe, it's, maybe you fear your kids sinning in one way or another. A friend betraying you. I mean, on and on and on we can go. But listen, you know how dogs have thunder shirts? Have you seen these? Why don't they make adult thunder shirts? Because we know this doesn't affect us. You know, they don't, they don't make ladybug repellent. They don't make love bug repellent. Because they're nothing to fear. They're not a real threat to you. So this is what Jesus is saying. Brothers, this storm looks like a real threat to you, but it is not. Because as Bruner also says, faith in the Gospels is often depicted as courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. A courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. Every occasion in your life. Jesus matches it and beyond. Is that how you view Jesus? I think another reason why the disciples are afraid is they think dying on the Sea of Galilee, this is the worst thing that could happen to them. This is the worst thing that could happen to us. And the things that we fear in life that loom so large, it's because we think this is the worst thing that could happen to us. But listen, it's just not true. Hear me, the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to die after you die in hell. The worst thing that could happen to anyone in this room is that you would die after you die. And if that's true, that means the best thing that could happen to anyone in this room is that you would die before you die. That I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. But now Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, if you are a Christian, the worst thing that could happen to you in your life has already happened to you. You've been crucified with Christ. You've been outed as a sinner. You've been nailed to a cross with him and you've been forgiven and the best thing in your life happened to you right after when you were raised to newness of life with him and you were seated with him in the heavenly places and you were guaranteed an inheritance of the ages to reign and rule with Christ forever. Your best has happened. Your worst has already happened. And now you've been brought under the care and supervision of Jesus Christ who can stop weather with his words. His 
power is yours. Verse 26, that's what happens next. He grants their request. He gets up and rebukes the winds. He doesn't just talk to them. He wags his finger at the storm. He rebukes it. No one else has this power and it listens. Do you see what Matthew's showing us with Jesus in this whole chapter? From the healings to the reluctant disciples and now the storm? You find what we're supposed to think in the disciples' next words that come out of their mouth. He calms the storm, 27. They're amazed and say, what kind of man is this? Jesus is exploding their categories for what they thought. And the more you're around Jesus, the more that will happen to you too. He will expand your categories for how you think of him. You thought of him, the passage opens with, he's perceived as just a teacher. Now it's with, this is someone who controls the weather. This is someone that the earth listens to because he is the son of God. Lord, God of armies, who is strong like you, Lord. Your faithfulness surrounds you. How is he strong and faithful? You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. No one else can boss the weather around like God. No one else can do this but Jesus of Nazareth. Wouldn't this be great if you could? This would be a superpower to have. Houston, you will not be humid today. You will be San Diego. Amen. And the disciples are amazed. That's a point of application here. Matthew wants you to be amazed at Jesus. A lot of us are bored with Jesus. Some of us have heard this story so many times. We've heard the church stories. We've heard these things. Okay, yeah, cool, Jesus did that. No, no, no. That is a blasphemy towards Jesus to be bored with him. Are you amazed at him that there really is a Jewish man named Jesus of Nazareth who is the son of man, who is the eternal son of God, who commands and rebukes nature for his disciples? And not only are you personally amazed with Jesus, but when you talk about Jesus with unbelievers or with your children or people in your small group, do you present a Jesus that is amazing? Do you present a Jesus that would leave people going, man, so, okay, who is he again? He's not just a teacher. Oh, you really do think that a Galilean man, the whole universe revolves around him? that he created everything, that he sustains everything, that he's going to judge everyone in the universe, that he has authority over sickness, he has authority over broken cells, he has power over the earth, the wind, the waves, and the deep, that he speaks and things obey, whether it's broken muscle tissue or a violent weather pattern. Yes. Jesus speaks and creation listens. That's what he's getting to. That's what Matthew's getting to. Will you, a disciple of Christ, when he speaks, will you listen? When he says, this sin must go, do you listen? When he says, trust me, do you listen? And the next passage, how it ends, is showing us even demons listen and obey Jesus. The last passage now ramps up, probably the scariest one. Disease is scary in the ancient world. It's scary today. Storms are very scary. Water scary in the ancient world. It's scary today. But now demonic activity. Horrifying then, horrifying now. And what happens? 
Well, the story moves from a raging sea now to a raging, two raging demonized men. They're so violent. They're living in tombs. And they're so terrifying, so violent and scary. No one even goes over in that area anymore. It is off limits. Those guys are too dangerous, too horrifying. No one goes there except Jesus. There's two things at play here that Jesus is showing us. Remember, he's got Jewish disciples with him. He's trying to crush the way they think about the world. So he goes over to a Gentile area across the sea to the gatherings, this Gentile ghetto where Jewish people did not want to go. Jesus says, come on, let's go. Over there, across the tracks? No, 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 we don't go over there, Jesus. We stay over here in the white, nice part of town. Jesus says, no, 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 come on, let's go. We're going to a cemetery? No, 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 that's unclean. We don't do that. Yeah, I know, come on, let's go. See, Jesus is expanding our categories of what it looks like to love others, what it looks like to be on mission with others. It's a double uncleanness where he's taking his disciples in their minds. Gentile world, cemetery, but Jesus is here to make people clean. He goes right towards these demonized men. That's the only reason they cross the sea. And as they're walking up, the demonized guys come out of the tombs. And you got to imagine that they've got cuts all over them, crazy hair, beard, moving all crazy, yelling, screaming, and what? Verse 29, suddenly, where have we seen that word already in this passage? 24, suddenly a violent storm rose. 29, suddenly the demons shouted. So Matthew's showing us these, these two accounts go, they're interlocked. They go together, interpreting one another, showing us how we should understand what's happening here from this violent storm. Now to these violent demons, Jesus is at work. And, and look, suddenly they shouted, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Remember what the disciples asked? Who is this? What kind of man is this? The demons answer. They get their answer. He's the son of God, not just a teacher. The demons know who this is. The disciples get their answer. They hear it from the mouths of demons. And they say, the demons say, have you come to torment us already? We know we've lost. Is it already time? Have we lost track of time? Are you already going to torment us now, Lord? They know, and listen, this is a lot of things some of us don't understand. Hell is not run by Satan. Hell is not Satan's. They will be tormented. Demons will be tormented in hell forever in the lake of fire. Hell is not Satan's wrath. Hell is God's wrath on all evil. And they know we're headed there. Have you come to send us there already, Jesus? And the demons look. Verse 30, a long way off, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged him. Remember that. The demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. So now this story adds another level of uncleanness to these Israelites. They're in a Gentile ghetto. They're among tombs. And now there's pigs, unclean animals. And Jesus is showing his disciples, you are going to be a light in the world. You're going to go to places that make you uncomfortable. You're going to get in things that are out of your zone. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to overturn and trample on the works of the devil. I, can't, I, just, I just want to imagine in my mind that as the demons are begging on their knees, send us into the pigs, the disciples got to be back there going, oh my goodness, 
What have we gotten involved with? I gave it my fishing business for this. And I bet Jesus looks back at his disciples. Go. The demons fly out. And look at what happens. 32, go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs. The whole herd rushed down. The other, other gospels say 2,000 pigs. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, the same sea, and perished in the water. What is happening? This is another time when you read the Bible and go, well, that's really weird. You can't read this and go, oh, that makes total sense. Now, what demons are getting into animals, going into pigs? What is going on here? Jesus just says, go, poof, vamoose, gone. As these demons go down the steep bank and into the sea, the same sea where the disciples thought they were going to die, but Jesus saved them. Strange. But hang with me for a second as we close. What's happening here? Jewish disciples are on the sea. It's raging. It's really like a picture of wrath and judgment throughout the Old Testament. Remember the Red Sea? The waters came and swallowed Egypt. Now the disciples are on the sea and they feel like they're going to die, but they get delivered. Jews delivered from the sea. You have two Gentile men who are being controlled by the work of the devil. It's plaguing them. And what was controlling them was plunged into that same sea. So the, the Jewish believers, they didn't die in that sea, but the pigs did. Those, those possessed Gentile men, they didn't die in the sea. They weren't killed by the works of the devil. The pigs were thrown into the sea. Their uncleanness was taken away. They, the Jewish disciples, didn't die in the sea. Something else died in the sea for them. Beloved, the pigs are a picture of a substitutionary work that Jesus is going to do for us at the end of this book. Why he came in the first place. He will deliver his Jewish brothers and sisters and he will deliver people in the nations by taking on their uncleanness and by being plunged into the wrath of God for everyone else. He becomes unclean on the cross, the scriptures say. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He takes our sins, he takes our fears, he takes our crimes against God, he takes them to the cross, and he goes headlong down the bank into the judgment of God for us. He dies for our sins. Drowns in our sins so we don't have to. But then he rises for them. Just like Jonah who was plunged into the sea but then is swallowed by the kindness of God in that giant fish and he spit out on land. And so Jesus is spit out of the earth, out of the tombs where these demon-possessed men came from. And it will be your salvation if you'll turn and trust. Jesus can be your substitute like he was for these Jewish believers on the storm, like he was for these Gentile demonized men. If you'll turn and believe. You think that's how the crowd, how the town responded to what they saw? Look at how the town responds. Verse 34. The whole town went out to meet Jesus, 
When they saw him, they begged him to leave. Who else begged in this passage? The demons. Same word. They begged, send us to the pigs. You know who else begged at the beginning of this passage? What Pastor Barry preached last week, a leper kneeling before Jesus. Will you heal me? So you have a a leper asking, begging for healing. You have a town begging, Jesus, leave. And listen, I know a lot of us are here at church today. Some of us come weekly. Some of us come every so often. But I know what is true, that some of us, we want Jesus to run our lives. And some of us, we just want Jesus to leave us alone. We want to do our thing, but we just want Jesus to leave us alone. I want to go to heaven, but Jesus, just leave my life alone. Just leave me alone. And Jesus is here to say, that's not who I am. I I don't leave you alone if you come to me. I'm going to fix you because I love you. I'm going to save you because I love you. I'm going to deliver you from the works of the devil because I love you. I'm going to give you the best you've ever had in this universe. Joy that you've never known because I love you. Don't beg him to leave you alone. Ask him, will you save me? And he will. Even if it's little faith. The disciples on the boat, notice Jesus and say, no faith, little faith. And he grants their request. Because little faith and big faith is still faith. That's all you got to bring to Jesus. Because Jesus is always Jesus. Jesus will always be Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You go to him, and he will not turn you away. You go to him, Jesus first. Let's go to him now. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.